everyone. Welcome to Central American Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. Today we're talking with Edith Romero. She's originally from Honduras. She grew up in a Badana town in the north coast of Honduras and moved to New Orleans to begin her higher education. Edith holds a master's in healthcare management and has experience in community health, Latinx health, reproductive justice, and health equity. Edith is an activist, organizer, and poet who envisioned art and storytelling as a tool for social change. Thank you, Edith, for being with us today. It's honestly a pleasure to be talking with you. Um, for everybody, we have planned this episode for quite some time now. Uh, she reached out to me, and once she told me about the topic, I couldn't say, you know, of course, one, no, but also I was so excited because there's a lot for us to learn. So thank you for reaching out, and welcome to Central American Voices. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Alejandra. I, yeah, very passionate about the topic and I'm so happy to, to be here and to have this opportunity to chat with you about these very important yeah. topics. Yes, definitely. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to cover a lot. And um, but before we start um, the topic, I wanted to ask a question, which I usually ask everybody. How was your experience, you know, growing up as a Central America? I know you grew up in the north of Honduras. So how was that experience? Um, I think the best way to describe it for me is it was weird um, because um growing up in a banana town um I think I didn't have the same experience that a lot of Central Americans had which is I grew up in a banana town I went to a bilingual school a private bilingual school while at the same time my dad was working as a doctor in the banana uh, plantations so I, I was I could see the stark differences I could see the inequity that existed and how like you know if you've been to Honduras you can see like there's huge mansions and then there's a river and then there's houses made out of cardboard mm -hmm. and so I you know growing up I could see those stark differences and how um, you know I did have a, a bit of privilege to be in a bilingual school but at the same time I wasn't um wealthy as the other people who went to that school um and you know like my parents were were doctors but in in Honduras being a doctor isn't really as lucrative at all as it is here in the United States um if anything they worked my mom worked at nonprofit, and so I was exposed to not only the poverty and inequity and economic differences but also in health Um, but you know, Honduras is beautiful. It's still like my favorite place in the world this is where I can go to recharge if I can go. Um, so yeah, it was weird, but in a lot of ways it was, it was beautiful because of the, the natural beauty and the, the people and traditions and culture as well. But there was def definitely that, that confusion of there's a lot of inequality here yeah definitely and especially I feel like you know listening to you it's like um in Honduras and I feel like we tend to say it when I can um is that it's so beautiful like you love the nature you know you love how beautiful the culture is you love your the beauty 
of a country, but like it's not like you you cannot see what is not right. Does that make sense? And I feel like you having an experience with like the banana plantation, like your parents, you know, like well, your mm -hmm. dad, more like, and then growing up around that, which is completely different, which is probably other under might have like experience. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. like I personally like don't know and then specific probably now but when i was little growing up over that i don't even remember even be like oh that's a banana plantation does that make sense or oh, that's where this and this and this is happening now reading about it it's like oh you see the inequalities and you see you know rivers like you know dividing people and like how you see like cardboard like houses and then you're here but then you at the same time if you have a privilege to go to a certain school but you're not as privileged as the other ones And like you also mm -hmm. feel out of place. Does that make sense? Because it's yeah. like other people don't 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 see what you see. And they they come here and they're like, oh, but this this is this happening in their own bubble. But for you it's like, well, my own bubble also includes seeing mm -hmm. the inequality, seeing what is needed. And like sometimes yeah. when you're in this position, it's kind of hard. It was, yeah, and it was very, because um, I literally went to, the bilingual school that I went to for middle school was the school for the managers in the banana plantation, but in the summers, because I had um, a bilingual school that was like the U.S. system in the summers, mm -hmm. and Honduras, the school is still going, like mm -hmm. the public schools, and so my dad would bring me to the school's in the banana plantations for the banana workers. And so I would see, you know, like all the kids, you know, didn't have shoes. The school was kind of like in shambles. Um, they didn't really have desks. They didn't really have books. And so I really could compare literally the, you know, where wealthy people were going to for school and where like working class people were going to school and it's also interesting because the school that I went to you know it's it's the school where the banana managers put their kids in especially if they were from the U.S. because a lot of people from the U.S. came with the United Fruit and like ran mm -hmm. the United Fruit um but they never talked about it. Like they never talked about the legacy of exploitation that the United Fruit Company had, uh, like all that blood money, all the coups. So that was something that was never talked about in school. And this school was so pro-US that I learned more about the history of the United States, a very whitewashed one, of course, mm -hmm. than the history of Honduras. So it was, wow. as I said, like the best word I can put for it is weird. Yeah. Okay. That is kind of weird. <laughs> but No, yeah. but in reality, like, I'm just like, the fact that it's like, the, you know, you have two schools, two schools about like one, like, you know, the banana manager school and the ones for the workers. And I'm like, in my head, I would be like, why don't everybody has the same school? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Why do you mm -hmm. have to separate? You know, that's kind of like, okay. Like, you can see, like, you're you like you're pushing those people. And also, like, I'm not surprised um, about, like, what you said about not learning um, a lot about... Because, first of all, it, it's not really talk in Honduras. 
en Honduras. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not really mm -hmm. talk about like, you know, the exploitation, even though if you don't go, like, for example, on the school that you want. But in, in my case, I went to when until third grade, I went to a bilingual school. Um, and then I moved to a fully like a escuela católica. But mm -hmm. in any of those two schools, they were both like all private. I never learned about the exploitation also, you know, and even though like I made it to like seventh grade, that was the, you know, the highest grade I made it to in, like in Honduras before I moved here. Um, mm -hmm. So it's still, you know what I mean? Like you still cannot learn that you will have, I, I don't know. I always wonder if that is something that is started like in the University of Honduras because mm -hmm. I had to learn it until I was here and it's kind of sad, too. you know, Because why do I have to learn my own history? Why do I have to learn, like, you know, the no very, like, my like history outside of my country? And why do I have to learn more about, like, the United States? Does that make sense? Specifically when I was in that bilingual school. Mine was, was, my, was more focused on the UK than the United States, but it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, So, like, it's kind of sad when, like, in, in education systems are like that. Because in Honduras, like, if you go to the public system where, like, you will say, like, well, that's, like, the el sistema educación hondureño, you know, it's not private. Mm -hmm. um, you would think that they would teach you more about Honduras. And no, this is the same, still same pro on Estados Unidos. Y la misma vez, there's almost no classes. Because there's no resources, there's no, you know, professors, teachers, or, you know, there's always en huelga, there's always this and that. And, like, yeah. so some parents who can afford that send their kids to private school. doesn't matter if it's a bilingual mm -hmm. school or if you, you send them to, like, other type of school. But, like, who can afford it? Yeah. At the same time, there's there's something that gets eliminated from that those the educations, like, you know, sources. So it's very sad. That's how I like yeah. I would say it. like it's very sad, and I completely understand you because, and then for me like wow like, of course they're not gonna talk what they're doing. They're not gonna talk about like the things that they're doing in the plant, like you know in la in la banana plantation. They're mm -hmm. not gonna talk about that. They're not gonna talk that in like they're paying them almost pennies. They're not gonna talk about like what those like chemicals do to people. They're not yeah. gonna talk about that. You know. Yeah. So, but also. You will put a question. Well, what about the people outside of that? They could they could cover that. No, they still don't. Mm -hmm. so it's yeah, no, they is you know, and I I think it is on purpose that they don't talk about it and that we don't learn about it. Um, but it's so obvious, you know, like being there. Like I grew up in the banana plantation, and I know that some weird thing was happening, but I didn't really know. Nobody really told me. Um, yeah. And I, as I, as you did, I found out through my own research. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. And then now talking about like your own research. Um. I know you said like you know you you have a master's in healthcare management. Uh. And you're getting you're studying right now your second master, right? Yeah. Or yeah, your second master. Um. Mm -hmm. What? Why did you decide is to focus or study more about like, you know like healthcare or like reproductive justice to focus on that? Like what what inspired you like to say like I'm gonna like follow this journey? Uh, especially yeah. like, you know you're growing up in Honduras. 
when like you know i i don't i would at what age did you move to study here was it for your master's or was it okay yeah. It was for my undergrad, and oh, okay. I Sorry. think that's a really yeah. I I moved to the United States when I was eighteen, and okay. when I moved here, um, I went to undergrad for hospitality, um, uh, which is like hotel, restaurant, tourism management, and um, what I wanted to do is like have basically like a little, uh, bed and breakfast by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's what I initially wanted to do um but things change and I think since I was growing up since my parents are both doctors um I I had an interest in health and I could see like a lot of machismo a lot of um teen pregnancies and unintended pregnancy and, and like the stigma of like you know around me when I was growing up there was a lot of um girls who got pregnant and they were disowned by their families mm -hmm. um so growing up with that and then after I finished my undergrad I I think the, the second event really made me lean towards healthcare is um I I got out of a, in a like four-year abusive relationship mm -hmm. and I was like what am I doing with my life um And I was like, I, I want to do something with purpose. And so I was like, I think healthcare is where it's at. And it kind of like my interest took me to get my master's in healthcare management. And then my interest for like my roots really took me into um, like women's health And that eventually took me to reproductive justice. You know how you say it's like what you put out to the world comes back to you? Yeah. I, I kind of mm -hmm. believe in that, although it sounds really corny. But it's like when you pursue like a passion, mm -hmm. usually you're going to run into things that are going to align with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of what happened to me. I was like, no, healthcare, like I want to help people. And then, like, I really care about women. And I care about um, Latina women. And then it just kind of took me to reproductive justice. Wow. And, yeah, I think in 2019 was when I, like, uh, like, started doing research in reproductive justice actively. Mm -hmm. Wow. I could, like, that's a whole, like, different thing. Going to hospitality <laughs> and <to> <laughs> Because yeah. I thought, like, it was, like, maybe your parents, like, you know, tell you. Because, you know, your parents probably were, like, oh, you should, like, study this. Or, you know, and I thought, mm -hmm. like, it was since you were little or maybe already young adult. Like, you know, teenager, you were, like, I'm going to study this. Going from hotel <laughs> to all this is a whole different change. Yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm glad because talking with Edith, um, like I said, she reached out to me. I got a DM. And I was, like would you like to talk about it? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, let's talk about it. I want to hear because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, there's there's always room to learn. There's always room to hear people. And I love talking to people and, like, listen. So I was like, yes. And you seem so passionate about this topic. Like, I'm like, I was like blind, like, you know, my mind was blown, like, listening to you, <laughs> listening to the topic. I couldn't even believe it. And the fact that 
you know, like we're both Hondurans, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you moved to, you know, came to study at the age of 18. I moved from Honduras when at the age of 14. There's a lot of things oh. that I was told people like, but hay muchas cosas que no sé, and I have learned from mm-hmm. here. But, you know, things that you told me have stuck with me. And like, now I say, which, you know, it happened when you learn something and now you see it more. Does that remember yeah. I told you? Yeah, I yeah. started seeing it more on my social media. I started reading more and I couldn't believe it. You couldn't believe it. So like the, the talking with you, like since our first meeting uh, to talk about this topic was like, oh my God, like I just want to keep learning, you know? And then we have our second meeting with one of our like volunteers and like, you know, and when we decided to plan, well, we have been planning this episode and then we all had to have planning something else. I would tell you that then. Um, we were, I was just so excited to work with, you know, um, we could collaborate one to t- listen and then also to learn more about this topic that is very hard to talk, you know, at the same time, but also it's very almost not talked at all. But at the same mm-hmm. time, how passionate you are and to also collaborate with like another woman, which is Fatima Moran, which is like the volunteer mm-hmm. in the podcast, the focus on the research to see like, since I remember talking to her saying, oh, I want to focus like in feminism in Central America, I would like mm-hmm. to like, you know, read more about it and you know just knowing that this could just be something for everyone to learn it is what made me excited and like because I feel like there might be people out there just like me that I didn't know and that I was like you know that's my own home country imagine what I cannot know I don't know outside of you know my own like you know part was it like more bubble or Central America, or like what happens around the world. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited that you know you went for 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 reproductive justice because I feel like in general we need more women to focus on that. We need more more voices out there to speak up, to talk about it, to not feel ashamed, to not feel scared, to not feel oh like this is going to happen to me. It's like at the end of the day, if we don't speak about or what happens or like the own rights that we should have um, as a woman, as us to decide for ourselves, And, um, and, you know, and it's just, and it, and it's the, the fact is that in the recent like years, like, you know, after Roe v. Wade was overturned here, there have been mm-hmm. a lot of talks here in the United States about abortion bans and all of that. And I feel like there's more than abortion. Like you need to go deeper than that. And a lot mm-hmm. of like an abortion is about inequality. And when we talk about inequality, it's all like, yeah, I mean, there's context, of course, and we talk about inequality here in the United States and equality against people of color. But when we talk about the education system being very, like like you said, pro-United States, and what happened is that in Latin America, there's a lot of like educational focus on pro-United States. Whatever the United States does influence a lot of in or own politics back in the region sadly oh, yeah. you know definitely it, mm-hmm. yeah it influenced a lot and it influenced in the in the, in the sense of like not only like law changes but also like mentality or um you know and a lot of stuff so when talking about Roe v. Wade and then like now like reproductive justice in Central America I see them as tied, you know, because it's almost the same thing. 
um and it's not even though they're different countries even though like we don't like you know we hope that in the future there's not so many about like thinking about for united states but at the same time it's like i wish that our countries in in central america and latin america would like look about it and reflect on themselves what what our people needs rather than be like well they don't accept it over there so you know or like yeah or you know also like take what is good and leave what is bad does that make sense like mm-hmm. that's what i see but i am excited to talk about you about you know reproductive justice in Central america maybe, maybe to start i think you said something really important that mm-hmm. it's not only about abortion and so yeah. i think something that really um really made me feel like reproductive justice was like mm-hmm. something that I wanted to dedicate my life to was that the fact that first of all it came out of like um women of color basically black women came together in response to white feminism and was like this doesn't include us and so we want to start this movement called reproductive justice which you know it's basically we have the right to um have reproductive lives where we can either you know we can have a family whenever we want to we can be pregnant whenever we want to and if we don't want to we have access to to being able to do that and so it 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 encompasses way more than abortion right it's it really if you look at it it's it encompasses everything that has to do with justice because let's say like you know, you want to be able to uh, be safe with your family and have access to housing and healthcare for your kids and not being um, not being separated from your family. You know, it touches mm-hmm. immigration justice. It touches mm-hmm. housing and healthcare and um, feminism. Um, and so I just wanted to like kind of give that definition mm-hmm. of like it's way more than abortion. Abortion is a yeah. big is a part of it, but there's mm-hmm. way more that goes into reproductive justice um, that makes it so universal, mm-hmm. and um, and in my opinion, so beautiful as well as something to advocate for. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to Honduras, so. So we're both from Honduras and, you know, like I know Honduras and I can't remember if it's the first or the second one, um, but it's, it's in like the top three um, countries with the most um, teen pregnancies. Uh, so a lot of unintended pregnancies, um, a lot of cervical cancer, uh, STIs as well. Um there's really no sex ed. Um, there's a lot of sexual assault and rape. Um, there's also a lot of, um, there's been a lot of murders of our trans sisters that not only are they happening uh, frequently, but they go, basically, they the, whoever the perpetrators just go free. Like they don't, they, there's no justice that comes after that. Um but in Honduras, so I did some research recently and I was able to talk to, uh, to the Centro de Derecho de Mujeres mm-hmm. in Honduras. Um, and they gave me a lot of insight to what's going on right right now. Mm-hmm. 
one of the big things is that the Plan B pill, which is not an abortive pill, it's a emergency contraception. But um, I've learned talking to a lot of Hondureños um, here and even over there um, that there's this idea that the Plan B pill is an abortion pill when it's actually mm -hmm. not. It avoids um, implantation and avoids actual fertilization as well. Um, but it's completely illegal in Honduras, although there is a black market for it. And so right now, a lot of organizations are fighting to make it legal and accessible. And the last thing that I was told is that the government wanted to make it legal only for um, cases of rape um, when you're 18 or older, like if you're 18 and younger then you would need permission mm -hmm. from your parents so basically if they were to pass this 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 law making accessible mm -hmm. for um, victims of sexual assault or abuse um, it wouldn't really create access because mm -hmm. of all the, the caveats of like you have to be 18 and older you have to prove that you were a victim of sexual assault how are you going to prove that Uh, mm -hmm. How are you going to even go to the police? Because a lot of people don't go to the police because nothing happens. If anything, yeah. um, a lot of victims of domestic abuse um, fear going to the police because of retaliation from whoever's uh, mm -hmm. abusing them. And mm -hmm. so that's a big one right now, um, aside from, you know, abortion is illegal mm -hmm. in Honduras. Um, what I was told about that is that It's not as bad as in El Salvador where there's um, very long prison sentences uh, for um, abortion, but there's still people who are getting um, prison sentences because of abortion. It's usually, um, you know, people who have an obstetric emergency, um, either because they were Um, carrying out a self-induced abortion or because mm -hmm. something happened that has nothing to do with them self-inducing yeah. abortion and abortion um, and they end up in the hospital and the providers there um, are the ones who go to like the legal department and put um, una denuncia how, how would you mm -hmm. say that they put out um, like, like a notice they they report them basically mm -hmm. to the yeah. government mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They report them. So the same providers in the hospital who should be um, protecting your privacy and should keep confidentiality um, are reporting people who go to the hospital. And it can be, as I said, for carrying out a self-induced abortion or just having a miscarriage. Um, mm -hmm. So even if you're not even trying to have an abortion, you can get punished uh by the law and that you know as we're going to talk about that happens a lot in el salvador yeah. salvador too yeah um and the other really big thing mm -hmm. that i've been looking at in latin america is for sterilization mm -hmm. and that happened um from what the sources in honduras have told me it happened before the 2009 coup in like um If you want to go into like how 
the U.S., right, or the global mm-hmm. north has brought upon these development programs, this family planning programs through USA, through the U.N., um, a lot of those programs, what happened in Latin America, and the, oh, a big one is Peru, is mm. that they targeted really rural indigenous um, communities and um, had as a goal reducing the birth rate in these communities. And so they end up coercing um, a lot of vulnerable communities, a lot of marginalized communities, especially indigenous communities into sterilizing um, themselves. Um, In a lot of countries, it happened to both men and women. Um, um, In Honduras, in Central America, I know it it happened a lot with indigenous women. Mm -hmm. So that happened um, prior to the coup because after the coup, a lot of those um, organizations that are supposed to be, you know, eliminating poverty like USAID and all that, they kind of left Honduras. Uh, because it was the you know we had the narco dictator yeah um and what has been happening a lot is there's forced sterilization of women with hiv um Mm -hmm. and my source um you know told me about cases where either like the family gives consent to sterilization instead of the actual woman Mm-hmm. Or where women are like, for some reason, they're in the hospital already, or they're in the middle of giving birth. And the doctor is like, since we're here, let's do this. And like, they don't, they're not really given mm-hmm. a chance to speak or to say no, or to even think about it. The provider just sterilizes them. And so those are just some of the things oh. that... <laughs> Yeah, that I know that are happening. Um, because it wouldn't surprise me if there's that's the thing, right? It's such a rabbit yeah. hole. Mm-hmm. There's there's yes. gonna be things coming up. Um, yeah, and I know there's also I've I talked to some women here in in New Orleans from Honduras. Um, like I have a whole story of 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 getting an abortion in New Orleans and running into so many Honduran women in the abortion mm-hmm. clinic and they told me stories about abortion um in honduras um one story was about a woman who was a sex worker in honduras who had several self-induced abortions to the point where the providers in the hospital stopped giving her pain medication when she would end up in the er and this is not uncommon from what I've heard. This this lady actually who told me worked at that hospital um, doing um, housekeeping. And mm-hmm. so how that's how she knows of several cases where that happened, where, where providers, medical personnel stopped giving um, pain medication to women who were do, having self-induced abortions and had complications because of their own personal ideas surrounding mm-hmm. abortion. When talking about like in Honduras, I think the one that like shocked me the first time I talked with you, and then still listening to it, it shocked me. It's about the, the Plan B pill. Like I, I think mm-hmm. I have mentioned it to you by any time, because, like you mm-hmm. said, it's not it's not an it's not an abortion pill. It's like an emergency one, and like you said, is in quote and then please correct me if I'm wrong, that 
what they're they're trying to of course to push it to make it illegal but i think the government is trying to, to do it only illegal for those with the age of 18 and above only if they have been you know sexual assaulted or um and then if you're younger than that you need permission of parents and i think mm-hmm. like for me what i like let, let's be real and let's be honest with you know everybody here how is that even possible first of all how can you prove a rave within 72 hours like how can exactly. you yeah if if a lot of if a lot of people who have you know suffer of, of rape sexual assault or anything has like taking years to come into because a mm-hmm. lot of stuff and sadly and disgusting happens in their family like i share mm-hmm. with like you earlier like it took me 20 plus years to tell my mom 20 plus years so imagine yeah. like I'm just thinking about it. I just let's put it in like in a case where like a girl of 16 needs to tell their parents within 72 hours, you know, so and so, you know, write me. I need you to have her, need to sign me for this to get this pill. Let's say if the abuser was part of the family, we already know how's that gonna go. And that's the majority. That's the Mm -hmm. majority of the time. Like according to like statistics, usually you know sexual assault how it happens uh, from Mm -hmm. people who you know, who you're acquainted with. Yeah, and also now let's put: what if this family is very religious, Mm -hmm. right? Now you put religion into that. Why are you gonna do like this and this and that, right? Where we know how how that thing will go. Okay, now this girl, this woman, is sixteen or you know younger, needs to carry a whole pregnancy just because of that, just because, and like, you know, now it's gonna be like now the parents know if she decides to for her own body be like I actually don't want to carry this pregnancy and I think it's time for me to go and have an abortion and I feel like that's a very personal like decision for a woman and I know like it, it takes time to think like you know especially when like grew up in a I in a society where like you, you see us less you see us in water like you know the you know all the titles that put, people put on women who have done that so if it's a personal like decision and I like you know in Honduras there's so many like teen pet like pregnancies um it's like it doesn't even make it accessible like it doesn't make it accessible and also to prove like you said like it need they needed to prove um that it was you know abuse had like we already know like for example and this is what I know for the plan B is that it has to be taken within 72 hours. Please tell, yeah. tell me. If, so within 72 mm-hmm. hours, you have to tell your parent if you're a minor, prove that you got raped, go to the police, somehow have the old paperwork done. Mm-hmm. For real right now, that would take you years and months. And yeah, it's and then I'm sure like it's everywhere. Hey, 
I know we don't like ads, but before we continue with the episode, I wanted to tell you that if you like our content, it would mean a lot if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Also, don't forget to follow us on the rest of our social media platform. And now let's continue with the episode. Yeah, and yeah, no, you're you're completely right. It's like there there's so many layers of injustice um to it and it's like yeah like first of all like being able to talk about it even recognizing it it's like there's no sex sexual education in Honduras or even here in Louisiana but it's like how Mm -hmm. do you recognize that what's happening is wrong and it's illegal Mm -hmm. how do you speak up how do you get the courage to speak up especially if it's somebody in your family especially Mm -hmm. if these topics are seen as taboo and it has happened Mm -hmm. before you know and in Latino families, I know mm-hmm. personally of, of of especially women who have spoken up against family mm-hmm. members that have sexually assaulted them. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they get victim blamed or they get um mm-hmm. basically disowned by the family. It's like, oh, yeah. you came and like ruined our reputation, you came and ruined our family mm-hmm. dynamics. Like it's on you. Like the blame mm-hmm. is on you yeah and so it's like really you know it's it's gonna it's hard to speak out already Mm -hmm. um but especially knowing that there's these consequences um yeah not knowing also your rights all the machismo Mm -hmm. that surrounds it Mm -hmm. um the domestic violence that surrounds it so there's there's so many layers to it that it's like there's not going to be any access even if you pass this legislation and i wish i had I'm going to send it to you after, but there's mm-hmm. literally a video of the um, Minister of Health in Honduras that surfaced lately of him being like, yeah, well, if we um, legalize the Plan B pill, then um, we're going to have a lot of irresponsible sex. So it's ideas, the the, mm-hmm. the reason why it's illegal are ideas very rooted in misogyny mm-hmm. and machismo in like this purity culture and in religion, which, you know, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be the state and church are supposed to be separate. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is not the case. Yeah. And, you know, um, right now you're talking about, it's like also first we're talking about plan B. We're not talking about like, you know, uh, what's it called? Birth control. That's like, that's something else. You know what I mean? We're talking about Mm -hmm. plan B. Like, yeah. It's, it's like I feel people sometimes are over there, like they try to like mix it, you know what I mean? We're like, oh, right, like right. In, in, the, in, in, in the comment of like, oh, they're gonna have a responsible sex, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it, it, it's an emergency pill, like, you know what I mean? It's not like it, it's yeah. actually you can you cannot use as a birth control, like, it's I do, yeah. you shouldn't, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah, so mm-hmm. like, in like. For example, when when right now when we were talking right now, you were saying that. Also, like it came to mind, like in 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 the scenario that I put you, who are gonna be the ones who are gonna be have access to that? And it's sad mm-hmm. for me to say this, and then it's coming from the like you know working heart, of course, that in Honduras se se usa bastante el soborno y lo quien pueda mm-hmm. pagar una persona. Right, so who you think is gonna pay the police officer or whatever the system will be? If that pill is only available, if if you prove that, just people who have the money for that, 
and it's not people who have exactly. access or know someone in that to get it like that and exactly. when i was telling eddie last time that i saw this video and i hope i don't remember i told you about the video that i saw on tiktok that i couldn't believe it i think so yeah yeah so it was this video on tiktok that said like um solo en Honduras vas a comprar una pastilla plante oh, yeah. o algo así una agropecuaria mm-hmm. and i like my mm-hmm. mind was blown like what you know yeah. so like and what you said about sadly this is a lot about religion right and like you know coming from a catholic background the church tells you not to use you know birth control or any like you know condoms or all that stuff so like but they're the first ones to blame if you go for a pami of what you decided to want for that you know so it's like so what you know and then like or of course like our parents grandparents are the ones who are very strong on that like you know you shouldn't be blah 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 blah, blah but it's like but at the same time i don't want a pregnancy you know or like mm-hmm. or they're or they're very easy to say pues cierra las piernas like yeah it's the, that's super it, machista right and, exactly. and they don't really talk about like okay then get a vasectomy like the the blame mm-hmm. is always on women Mm-hmm. Um, or like there's there's no shaming of mujeriegos, right? If anything, mm-hmm. men who womanize who are with several women are celebrated, right? Yes. And so you see you see the very machista source of that type of culture. Um and for me it's also like se- I don't know, like Sex for me is something that is your own personal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have, you know, you should have the freedom of of, of exercising mm-hmm. it without shame. And, and yeah. you can talk about, you know, sex positivity, body positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the whole narrative around um, abortion it, in mm-hmm. in Latin America, but also really mm-hmm. around the world, is a very machista narrative mm-hmm. where the women are are blamed and where responsibility is placed on women, and they're really shamed for using mm-hmm. their own rights for exercising their own rights to have control over their reproductive lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know, I remember uh, when we were talking about. Um, you talk about the sterilization for HIV um, in Honduras. Mm-hmm. And I know like it happens, well, I'm, I'm mainly in Honduras is the one that we talk. Is that, um, you know, there's this idea about like HIV that a lot of, a lot of people, and it, I was, okay, it's not ideas, misinformation that happens personally around like, um, what is it called about our lgbtq plus you know community mm-hmm. right i was like oh yeah. if, if you if you yourself identify as gay the probably like you know the person has hiv and it's like you know um and also when we talk about reproductive justice we also talk about like you know the reproductive justice of for trans sisters right so yeah. in a sense last time i talked with um an endurance writer and when it was COVID and they needed, um, se llama? Blood. The mm-hmm. Red Lesbica Les- 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 en Honduras, creo que así se llama la organización, mm-hmm. was denied from donation of blood. 
Okay, and then this just um just an example to know that this is donation of blood. Now imagine them going just to get adequate, you know, what's it called? Health for their own reproductive like system, for their own decisions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How are they perceived? How are they treated? Like it's just Yeah. It's it's um it's really sad. Mm-hmm. And I actually was reading um some research studies about um Latina Latinx immigrants in Canada um who are HIV positive mm-hmm. and a lot of them migrated to Canada. And I'm sure this happens in the United States too, especially with with um, trans women from Latin America or Central America, because they didn't have access to uh, decent healthcare, um, healthcare without discrimination, mm-hmm. in in Central America. Mm-hmm. So a lot of HIV positive um, people leave Central America to find adequate services in the north. Um, and that also happens with our trans sisters, right, who are, are experiencing violence in, in a lot of different ways. They migrate mm-hmm. because of that um, mm-hmm. in search of protection and, and a better life in, in the United States or Canada. So it is very sad um, what happens to HIV positive people in, in Honduras. There's really not the resources and, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, maltrato discrimination mm-hmm. uh, and then add on top of it if you're Garifuna if you're Afro-descendant mm-hmm. and HIV positive mm-hmm. um, that's just an- another layer of discrimination and racism to experience mm-hmm. and this can apply also even to jobs like there's jobs mm-hmm. that require you to disclose your status um, or or even if you're trying to work and you don't have the right healthcare, being HIV positive, there's like long periods of times where you might be really not able to work because of your health condition. And so there's yeah. just different things that kind of pile up if you're if you're living with HIV in Central America. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, is really hard. But you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, talking about what you said, like a lot of of our um, trans sisters decide to migration as the safest mm-hmm. bet for yeah. themselves. You know, and like how you mentioned earlier, you know, when we talk about reproductive justice, there's a lot of like justice and like about migration, right? There's there's more than just abortion. So mm-hmm. I just you know. First of all, migration is dangerous in any form, you know, unless you have the privilege to have a visa if you're, you know, yeah. traveling up north. Um, and last time I was, um, I don't remember where did I read it, but I saw I didn't just read it. I recently had a cousin who migrated um, and she told me the the prep that happens before migration. And it's about these injections their prep mm. just they the, the you know they tell them just in case you get rape just in case yeah 
and but they're not close what type of you know injections are and that is not only given to only women you know they're also given to men there are um you know and also the, the discrimination for like the trans community is not only in central america it happens everywhere right mm-hmm. and then yeah. during migration they're seeing as less they're seeing that they're like you know like the, the articles or like that you remember reading this about you know we have heard a lot of stories about like a lot of sister who have been you know sadly killed you know mm-hmm. by you know the whole process of migration but also yeah. during the whole process sometimes they feel like their pain they're not taking as serious you know their abuses mm-hmm. is not taken as seriously because they're always saying like you know they put themselves in that situation so like when we talk about like migration so like for me it's just it's kind of hard to like think right um as someone who don't have access maybe it's like central america because you know you identify as a trans um woman Mm -hmm. a trans man you decide to migrate and you go through this you know you go through this you go you continue having the same discrimination if not more sometimes you're put into situations that are more dangerous than to other people just because yeah you're being injected so many things without knowing what it is what could do to your body right and then you know you make all this danger uh, you know journey and as years ago we found out that in the border and the border also they do sterilization right but there mm-hmm. are many people so like it's just crazy to think that in general you're never safe you're never allowed to decide for yourself you're never allowed to be like oh let me let me let me think about it let me see if this is what i want right because Mm -hmm. it's 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 not selfish it's my own body like i need to decide and like we put in the let's say like if if that happened when you got to you know border and they need to do this medical exams on you after you know you know, I understand that because you have been migrating, walking the desert and all the stuff. Whatever you decide to take, you may have been dehydrated, but there is no reason for someone to induce anesthesia and sterilize you for no yeah. reason. Without sign anything, without proper translation, with nothing. It is, there, that sh- it shouldn't have been, you know, at all. Yeah. And that that one, um, the Urban County sterilization, they also found out, you know, that the provider who was taking care of, you know, it was mostly all immigrant women, a lot from Latin America, some from Haiti, Jamaica, so Afro descendants. Um, they were also given like um procedures and treatments that are very invasive that were not medically necessary and to the point where like reading that article there was like women who were like I stopped going to the doctor even though I was experiencing all these symptoms because I was so scared of experiencing that kind it's called obstetric violence I was experiencing that kind of obstetric violence and on behalf of the provider so 
and that happens a lot, you know, like it happens. Mm-hmm. It's been happening in the detention centers. It wouldn't surprise me if, it, if it's still happening. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I have a professor who focuses on that in actual hospitals in Latin America. So like in Republica Dominicana, um, she did a lot of studies in local hospitals where providers would verbally and sometimes physically um, really abuse women who are in the mm. middle of childbirth. Um, that's obstetric violence. And like, literally like tell them like, you know, a woman's in the middle of childbirth and she's shouting and tell them like, oh, you weren't, you weren't shouting like that when you got pregnant, were you? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Like horrible things or um, pushing women to sterilize themselves after uh, labor. Um a lot of verbal abuse, um, a lot of like C-sections that are not necessary. It's like over-medicalization help happens a lot in Latin America, especially if you're indigenous mm-hmm. and you're Afro-descendant. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of violence in in healthcare settings that, that happens, yeah. especially if you're... And then if you're trans, add, add on top of that if you're trans, right? I'm sure there's a lot of violence and that that occurs um, when you're receiving medical treatment if you're trans. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's just it's, I just can't. I, I like you know sometimes when you talk about this, it's like I know people say like, well, we don't like to talk about it, but like we need to talk about it, even though it's sad, even though it's hard, and every sometimes you can't believe it, and sometimes you get angry, and you want to be like. What is going on in the world? Lord, you know, like what the heck is going on? Like it's just, I was called as a basic human right. Like, you know, I was, you know, you know what I mean. It's just sad to think that you were born, you identify as a woman or how you decide to identify, but you don't have rights over your own body or whatever. Mm-hmm. No quiero decir la palabra, pero like it's just like it just makes me angry and then the thing is that you know for example yeah let me let me move to another country and maybe i can be safe i'm not I'm gonna be safe it's just it's some so universal like you know it's sad and disgusting and like you know to go back to something that um uh you mentioned and i think that is um uh, it's important to talk about is about the okay, the penal code in, in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sad, disgusting, and everything because I feel like this is the mm-hmm. most like, you know, harsh abortion yeah. I've seen. And that is like I get you know against abortion and like the thing is that let's talk about you know like when when we say about like it's not only abortion it's not only about abortion it's about a lot of stuff but let's talk what is what is abortion and what is not abortion because people in, in El Salvador has they have been put between thirty to fifty years in jail for a miscarriage for a miscarriage. Exactly. Yeah, and almost like I don't know. Remember the percentage last time, but if you have, a, you know, a uterus or womb or like what's that, 
and you get pregnant, there's a time in your life, if you decide to get pregnant, there's a time in your life that you might experience a miscarriage, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a high possibility. It's mm -hmm. a high possibility. And to think that a country sees that as an abortion, to think that is, they will put you in jail for something that is out of your own hands. Exactly. Okay, I'll just let you there. Because yeah. I'm still like super like, Oh. I know and that's that dimension and like imagine you know and there's a lot of unintended pregnancies because of rape especially in really young girls mm -hmm. and when you're younger it's usually a high risk pregnancy so you, you you're running even more risk of having a miscarriage or like an obstetric um, emergency so the most vulnerable women or, or girls are the ones who run the most risk of ending up in jail, ending up in prison for 30, 50 years. And then even if you you do an abortion, it's like an abortion is basic medical health care. Your, your human rights are being violated if you get punished mm -hmm. for having an abortion because you're, mm -hmm. you're exercising your right to um, have control over your reproductive life. Mm -hmm. um and you're being punished for that so your 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 human rights are basically being violated if you're being punished for that mm -hmm. so yeah there's El Salvador really is the worst yeah I was reading the article and not only are women in in prison for 30 or more years the the conditions in this prison are horrible are like no type of hygiene. Um, I was reading an article about how there's like one provider per 5,000 people in jail. Um, and that, that same article also, I think it was from last year, said that um, that year was like the year with the highest people, highest number of people in prison, which is under Nayib Bukele, which is a very mm -hmm. right-wing wing fascist. Um, mm -hmm. Just putting it out there, um, but <laughs> but yeah. not only that, but there's a lot of accounts of torture, um, especially um, towards women who who are in prison for miscarriages or abortion. Like they've gone mm -hmm. through through torture in these prisons as well. So it's very it's very concerning. Is 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 very horrible and i don't see under especially under bukele where he's being even more fascist he's like you know have the SSL exception where they can pretty much arrest anybody mm -hmm. um and is really militarizing the country like i feel like that's gonna put even more women in prison he's also super ultra conservative and homophobic and machista and so it wouldn't surprise me if those numbers keep going higher and there's even more women and girls and trans women affected by um this fascist regime basically yeah yeah because i think last time i saw a video and it was the inside the the, the correccional de mujeres creo que así se llama Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, it, there was this little. I mean, I saw it like years ago. I think it was like at the beginning of his, you know, the, his first year. I think it was, and like there were like the the 
I think the ladies were like, oh, like I, I'm hopeful that if he could do something and then like, you know, we see years later now and I'm like, this is going to go mm-hmm. worse. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like I just, at, at the time when I saw that one, I, I had a hope, but now I don't, you know what I mean? Like I always tell my family, like, it's just, it's just going bad, you know, like, and especially for, for this, like, there's, there's no, no hay razón por la, por la que una mujer o, o persona tenga que ir a la cárcel for a freaking miscarriage. There's no yeah. reason. Or, or there's abortion no, or getting healthcare, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there, there's no reason. There's no reason for 30 years. There's a whole life. There's no reason for 50 words. There, there's no reason for you, I, Fulanita et al, to get punished for my decision or yeah. something that could have happened because you know, it happened, you know? And something that you mentioned is really important. These The people in prison for abortion or miscarriages are always going to be the most marginalized communities because mm-hmm. the people with the resources are going to still get abortions. But guess yeah. what? They're going to go to New York to get their mm-hmm. abortion. Or they're going to go to a private clinic with a private doctor and get an abortion. So abortion is still going to happen um, yeah. really in anywhere in the world. It's just the 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 people who are gonna suffer are the most the the poorest working women, um, the most marginalized Afro descendant indigenous women who don't have the access to, to like private doctors or to fly to New York to get an abortion. Yeah. So even you know the people the conservative politicians who spouse all this machista culture, mm-hmm. even them are gonna get abortions for their mistresses. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And that's the thing that like, the thing is that if if abortion is illegal, it's illegal for the people who are poor and marginalized. It's not illegal for the people who have money. For the people who have money can pay them and they can pay for people don't say nothing. However... Mm -hmm. If I am an indigenous woman, if I am an Afro-descendant, and I go to get an abortion to the hospital or whatever person I have trust with my own body and my own decision decides to go and tell authorities, not only my decision and my rights are being violated, but now my privacy. And the thing is that, but it's illegal for me, but legal for them. It's when you see like, well, then this is not only about abortion. It's about something. Mm-hmm. Else. This is why we always yeah. say let's just not do abortion. It's about multiple. Shit. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, so, <laughs> uh, girl. We can go on and go on and go on, but I wanted to start a little bit closing the episode for everybody. This is just, I would say, a little tip, a little like above the iceberg, above the iceberg of what, you know, reproductive justice in Central America is and what injustices happen throughout Central America migration and all that. And, you know, I, I, of course, like in this podcast, we focus about, you know, Central America, but in general, it's like, you know, 
around the world um mm. because i won't be surprised if that happened in africa asia you know oh yeah like it, I, i won't i won't be surprised you know um but if we continue talking i'm gonna <laughs> be like 10 hours <laughs> okay. yeah, oh, I know. But, you know but i wanted to close um well before we close Um, I wanted to share that this will be the first episode and then I'm excited with the de- that is going to have a research paper because since I told you guys that um, we talked and we knew it was going to be a lot of information. And as y'all can see, we were able to talk about what, four, five maybe aspects. And mm. we have, let me see, well, 15 pages at this moment. <laughs> Full of <laughs> uh, full of information divided by each country. So this is the first episode who's gonna have a, a research um, post. It's gonna be both in English and Spanish, where we're gonna try to make get more um, breakdown for each country for everyone who has access for that. And of course, um, I think we're talking with Fatima. Fatima, shout out to her. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I should probably listen to her. Uh, Fatima, it is our uh, research volunteer here on the podcast. And she has just doing her wonders. Um, and we have been talking with her to have available also the, the paper, like, you know, the research notes for anybody who might want to be more interested to uh, continue, uh, you know, reading not only after the post or listening this podcast but we want to make this um what's it called this uh, information accessible as it's not accessible mm-hmm. in our countries and it's not and most times not accessible anywhere and then we have talked like you know um about like you know topics like this in academia and this is why um we started in a podcast the research post in the podcast uh for social media due to that But when talking with Edit and we knew it was gonna be a lot of, you know, a lot yeah. of things that we might have not be able to cover. So this is why I told her, you know, I think it's it, this will be the first one in which I'm excited, you know, to have it together for anybody because it, it, it's needed. It's needed. And, yeah. you know, I feel like having this information more accessible for anyone will make be a more in community to actually push for a goal in, in, in total to have fully rights, you know, that we should have already, but, you know, they're discussed by, you know. So before we close and after I share about, uh, you know, I, if, if, if you listen to us and you were like, I want to learn more, there's going to be that available. Um, So just keep an eye on our social media and it will be right there. But I wanted to close this episode um, to kind of like ask you what steps or what call to action should we, you know, have, you know, I know there will be probably baby steps of what can we do, you know, mm-hmm. for those who might be for, uh, here in the United States, for those who have been listening from Central America, what steps do should we do and what should we start pushing for? that way we can have reproductive justice. 
having a conversation like we're doing it right now is really important. Um, doing your own research and your own research means, you know, what is happening right now, what has happened before. You know, we talked about the state of abortion, how it is criminalized, forced realizations that have happened in the past in Guatemala had STI experiments by the U.S. Learning about that, but also learning about your sexual health in general, um, I think is very powerful. Um, and I think it will it will open our eyes to to be able to advocate for our reproductive rights. Um, also, like following um, accounts that are fighting for our reproductive rights in in Latin America. You know, you mentioned La Red Lesbica, Catrachas. Um, there's like some independent news sources in Honduras, like Reportar Sin Miedo, Contra Corriente. So following them, supporting them, because these are independent organizations that are they're advocating for our rights. Um, also putting pressure on, on the actual people in power, right? Nayib Bukele. Is, is doing horrible things in El Salvador and there there needs to be pressure to to protect human rights in El Salvador. Xiomara Castro, who, who, you know, had a lot to say about feminism and women's rights, but is now really not taking any steps to protect our, our basic human rights in Honduras. You know, we need to put pressure. We need to organize. We need to join together. And that's why I reached out to you, right? It's like, we need to, like, start the conversation keep the conversation growing build these relationships to be able to advocate and to have power against the people who are are basically perpetuating these this machista this fascist um regimes and laws so i think that's that's really what i think um what i what i what i put myself as a a goal right and i think that's a, a good start at least Yes, yes, definitely. And um, you know, thank you for coming here. Thank you for reaching out. Um, I know like this is at least like what we say like a little step to, you know, continue sharing for continue for people to learn. And like just I mentioned like please do your research and even yes, I mentioned like we're going to have that, but still check our sources. I always tell people yeah. to do that check resources do the research on your own also um because um you know as much as we try to you know have you know resources we always want to double check them and go do out of our ways and learn more and like what it what may you know Eddie go from hospitality to this to now go very deep to learn all about uh, reproductive justice in Latin America is what when she reached out to me and I started reading more about that and I was just like mind blown and then with Fatima more I got excited and like I hope that everybody who's listened to us um, not only is passionate to learn but also to continue sharing and to uplift Mm -hmm. and support those who are doing the work in the grounds, who are doing the work in social media, who are doing the work. And like she said, put the pressure on those people who are in power, who sadly controlled most of our rights, right? And Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, whatever, you know, we we have talked about like Sonata and, you know, it's like, well, there was a lot to say, blah, 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 but nothing done. Same thing mm-hmm. happens about the 
something happens in Guatemala and Nicaragua yeah. and you know everywhere like it's not let's not be us to accept just the political like you know discussion for them to get elected but let's be mm -hmm. us to hold them accountable once yeah. they're not protecting while they're not doing what we want what we need and what we all mm -hmm. should have so exactly. again thank you so much for reaching out um it was a pleasure yeah, to have you here um it has been a pleasure talking exactly. with you for for all this weeks planning this and i am excited um you know i'm excited and um again um yeah i don't know what two other things to say but yeah i'm excited <laughs> uh thank you for reaching out it was being a pleasure uh but before we close any uh thing that you would like to share social media to follow you or anything oh, as everybody sure. knows um all yeah. the social media will be linked in the notes but yeah <laughs> Awesome. No, yeah. Um, anybody can follow me. I do research. I try to share a lot of what's going on in Central America too. Um, and I also do poetry, like activist poetry. And my Instagram is E R O M E three five eight E Rome three cinco And so feel free to follow me, or 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 if you want to talk about reproductive justice, I'm always down to do that. <laughs> Yes, so yes, yes. And you know, um, reach out to her, reach out to us. Um, you know, if you just want more, you know, to lead you. Um, sometimes I get I get so happy when I receive emails and I'm gonna put it out there. You know, when I receive emails, Aww. text messages and they're like, I really like this topic. Do you think you can connect me to the guest? And I'm like, my heart is fully like like happy because I'm like I would like to be the bridge to connect to other people that way they continue learning yeah. about stuff you know so I please reach out um, all the information yeah. will be down there just in case <laughs> yeah no and thank you Alejandra for having this space I think it's really needed I think we need you know Central American voices to be heard and to I feel like um, usually we get our news about Central America from voices that are not from Central America and yeah. so um I'm really excited about this and you know keep going I really admire what you what you're doing uh, thank you so much Adid it's, it's um mm -hmm. it's very nice hearing that from you um but yeah um other than that just um thank you for being here of course thank you <laughs>